stats, booms, busts, sleepers. Listen to Adam and Vincent with Fantasy Pandemic on Monday and Thursday evenings via Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow them on Twitter at Fantasy Pandemic, at Fantasy Cajun, and at FF Little Finger. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Pandemic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bryce, along with my co-host, Vincent Argrave. Tonight, we are going to start draft preparation as the draft is one week from tonight. Uh, We are going to take a look at our top quarterbacks and top running backs in PPR formats. Uh, Other than that, we are definitely looking forward to the draft. It's a week away. We will not be doing a podcast next Thursday. We're going to hold that off for next for the Friday and following, so we can actually watch the first round and give a little little analyzing uh, for the next night. But anyways, I'm fired up about the draft. I'm sure you are too, Vincent. No, I'm super excited about the draft. Again, you know, sports that even if it's not you know direct, but something that matters. Um, you know, the format everybody's going to be doing it. You know, uh, Goodell's going to be calling picks from his basement. So wherever you're listening, watching, we're all going to be doing you know something similar to even the experts this year. Uh, something that we flirted about, uh, I'm going to do probably uh, for me and a couple of my friends. So if you're interested and you don't have me or Adam's direct contact information, um, again, I'm at FF Littlefinger. Send me a direct message. We're going to do a Zoom watch party. Uh, there is a cap on the time. So I'm probably going to set it for, you know, uh, 30, 40 minutes into the first round and, you know, do a watch party, talk a little fancy, talk a little football, drink with my friends. And anybody that's interested, you know, like send me your information, send me an email. Uh, my friends that are interested, shoot it to me, and we will, uh, you know, do a little something and try to drag Adam out onto technology and bring him into the Zoom with us, you know, guest speaker. So anybody wants to do it, I'm looking forward to it. I'm super pumped. I'm excited about tonight's episode because uh, this is something completely different than I've ever done this early. Uh, you know, so really trying to dive in, get, make my opinions, you know, look at a lot of research, watch some tape, not really much, but, you know, kind of the guys that we're more familiar with and see what these guys see and hopefully uh, – makes us better and it makes everybody listen a little better too. Yeah. Speaking of zoom, I literally didn't, I mean, I'd heard about zoom, but I've never, uh, I've never used zoom or downloaded on my phone. So that that's going to be new to me. Um, but you know, we'll try, I'll definitely try to try to hook up with that. And, you know, that way we can all watch the draft a little bit together, but you know, going over to the draft and looking over at quarterbacks. And I can tell you right now, if, he doesn't go to Cincinnati. I'm thinking he's going to go to someone like Miami or something. And, and that's daddy Joe Burrow uh, out of LSU, who was the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, you know, he set just about every passing record in college football history uh, this past season with LSU and, and the offense. Uh, they were just high-powered scoring. No one stopped them, whether it was Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, uh, whoever it is, LSU pretty much ran over from start to finish, and it all started with Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, in Joe Burrow's junior year, I-, I loved the way when he showed on the field, he had a lot of moxie, a lot of grit. Um, he had a lot of accuracy. Um, he still was just kind of missing on some of those big plays, and there was just something missing from the offense. And then, you know, Joe Brady comes in, takes over as LSU's co-offensive coordinator along with Steve Ensminger. And they just flipped the script on the offense to basically something that no one really in college football has seen. And they just look like the greatest show on grass, to be honest with you. I mean, with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, who we'll talk about next podcast, you know, he's going to be a first round pick this year. Jamar Chase will be probably a top 10 pick next year. 
Uh, Terrence Alexander could be a first-round pick next year. Thad Moss is going to be a fifth-round, fourth or fifth-round pick, maybe even earlier this year, and he's tied in. They had so many weapons. I didn't mention Claude Edwards-Elair, who we're going to talk about tonight, but they had so many weapons, you know, whether it was, you know, at the skill positions, at wide receiver or running back. But I tell you what, you know, he was deadly accurate. He, he nearly – he almost looked like Drew Brees out there. He kind of reminded me. He, he just puts balls where they need to be put, when they need to be put, and he made LSU's almost electric. And to me, the quarterback class, all sorts of Joe Burrow. If Cincinnati decided to trade, trade uh, out – because there's rumor has it that Joe Burrow doesn't really want to go there. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't want to go there either because it's fucking Cincinnati. But, you know, Cincinnati cannot trade out. This is a hometown kid. Take Joe Burrow, ride the season ticket sales, and watch somebody who's going to take off, in my opinion, in the NFL. Absolutely. I just, going into the year, it was clear that, you know, Tua was going to be the number one pick. Tank for Tua was the theme for a lot of these bad teams down at the bottom and Burrow and LSU's offense absolutely stole his number one overall pick. Probably um, this year, Burrow's 5,671 yards, 60 touchdowns, six interceptions, the Heisman, the Maxwell, the Walter camp, the Johnny United, the Davey O'Brien and the Manning setting 31 or helping set 31 LSU records. Um, it's everything that you want and as a franchise, you cannot make a wrong pick by taking Joe Burrow. There is never there him or Tua. You, if Tua is healthy, and we'll get to Tua in a second, you can make the argument, and they'll always be compared to each other, like a lot of these other guys that are in the same draft class. You know, Eli and Philip and uh, Roethlisberger. You know, so him and Tua, and you know Herbert, and all these guys are going to always be compared to each other. But to not take him with all the accolades and the success, not just, you know, an award on the sake of winning awards. I mean, he did it week in and week out, uh, has very minimal concern. Uh, his one of the biggest concerns from a dynasty or from a franchise standpoint is they're saying he's an older quarterback. He's 24. So you're going to miss out on some of that. Um, the opposite or the counter argument to that type of complex is, a lot of these guys need a year to get ready or two years before they really can't compete at a high level. Well, last year, because he was already a graduate transfer, or he was a transfer, and he's graduated, he had like nine hours of classes, air quotes, he had to take that didn't count or didn't matter. So he lived in football operations. All he did, which showed a lot in his success, but he's lived a pro lifestyle already. So he is the closest to a mindset of pro ready. Some of these other guys may be more arm strength here or more mobile there, but he is the, if he's not the best at every category, he's the second best or the third best. When you start talking about even the intangibles, but he's a winner, you know, the comment the other day that he's never lost since he started playing in sports. He's never been a loser. He doesn't plan to be, which goes into kind of why you might not want to go to Cincinnati, but there is no safer pick and number one overall that I can remember, especially from a quarterback, because it's always, you know, there's the Ryan Lee for Manning, and there's all these different, you know, you can make an argument for the other guy. Uh, and we'll talk about some of these other guys, obviously, coming up. But Burrow, Cincinnati not taking Burrow would be a Cincinnati move because they're just scared. But if Cincinnati takes Burrow and it doesn't work out, nobody should blame the Bengals because there's no reason that he should not be number one. 
No, not at all. I mean, let's be honest. He had the greatest season of all time last year. Um, he's got moxie. He's got leadership. Uh, he certainly has the intangibles. You know, his dad was a defensive coordinator. I mean, the kid knows football. He should be absolutely the number one pick. Cincinnati's dumb if they don't take him. Right. And, I mean, from a nitpicky standpoint, he does not have the strongest arm. But I think everybody saw him with the accuracy he has along with the arm strength that he does have, he can fit into windows and put it over the top as good as anybody. I mean, he was throwing balls that if they were underthrown, they were underthrown on purpose because he read it so well and the defenders' backs to it and knew that Chase, knew that Marshall, knew that Justin could come back and get the ball. So, he's, you know, he was uh, interviewed uh, two days ago on the morning show here and just talking about his favorite play and why the play was so successful and just breaking it down. And he went down to the fifth level of Reed down to Clyde Edwards Alaire out of the backfield. And if he swung out, he's like, well, I know I have that in the flats. There's no way to cover this play regardless of the defense they put out. And just having that awareness, that intelligence, being ready, uh, there's just – it's a safe pick. It's a great pick. I, if I have dynasty number one, I'm taking him because I have faith. I don't have faith in the Bengals as a franchise, but I do have faith in the pieces they have there right now. And I think Burrow can have immediate success. Uh, I don't know if he's, he, he's not going to probably pop our top 15 in a redraft because you have to give respect to how deep the quarterback position is. But if you're in a two quarterback league, you do a lot worse than probably uh, putting some hopes on Burrow to be able to support like a super flex two quarterback type of spot. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, qu- my question to you, I heard you would say you would take him number one in Dynasty no matter what. I mean, what if you have, you know, young quarterbacks already established? I mean, is it best player available at that point? Or are you, are you, do you really need to take for need at that point? I think it comes down – well, first of all, are you playing like a super flex two quarterback? I think it's almost impossible to pass up on Burrow. Uh, I personally think that Tua would be hard – to pass on at the second pick just because if you're in that type. Now, if you're in a one quarterback league and you have the depth, then it's he's much less devalued, especially how much turnover you have at the running back position. Uh, you know, we did the super flex this past year in Dynasty, and you're still finding people get hurt. So backup quarterbacks are going to be able to fill spots throughout the year. So, for example, my Dynasty team that we're in, I have three quarterbacks. One of them is Drew Locke. I feel okay with that because if one of my guys go down, I do have a quarterback to stick in that spot. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily reach for one of these other guys, depending on where those landing spots are. But I think Joe and the two, depending on where they go, it's it's hard not to. And obviously, we're biased for Joe because we got to see him. And you know, your home team is going to carry more weight, whether it's fair or not. You know, everybody in our leagues is going to want a piece of Burrow, Clyde, Justin Jefferson, Fad Late just because that's a name they know. And when you get later in drafts, people go to what they know. That's why all these old players get drafted. And I love doing redraft leagues without computers because when people start scrolling through a list, they go to what's familiar. So getting an LSU guy, you almost have to reach for. But uh, for me, it's just the quarterback position. And then if Joe especially goes to Cincinnati. Now, if Joe goes to Miami, I do think that's a different situation. Like if, if his landing spot is – or Los Angeles Chargers or the Bengals, I think he has much more immediate value and probably next year he could be bonafide. If he goes to Miami, 
as high as I am on Devontae Parker and what Preston Williams can be and Gasecki and Jordan Howard, and they're probably going to get a running back, I don't have as much faith in that situation. I have a lot of faith in Joe, but I do think that the clock is held back a little bit, if you know what I mean. That alarm gets pushed before he has immediate value. So I do think if it's the Bengals, because of the pieces they have, it's good. That's just my mindset. Um, but I'm definitely okay with how deep these running backs and how deep these wide receivers. Like I picked 12th, and I was talking to a friend yesterday, and I'm going to take what the best available. And my best available may be as good as somebody that takes a, a skilled player at number three because you never know how it's going to really pan out. Everything's a crapshoot. Yeah, uh, um, I don't. I definitely don't think Burrow is going to be uh, a dud come the NFL time. But you know, this next quarterback that we're going to talk about, who I know you and I both have at number two, and everyone else in our mama has at number two, and that's two out of Alabama. You know, this is another quarterback we saw plenty of uh, over the past couple seasons. You know, Tua was the number one rated quarterback coming out of high school out of Hawaii. Uh, somehow gets over to Alabama along with his family and his house and his jobs and cars and whatever else Alabama does to get quarterbacks over there. Um, but, you know, he comes in the national championship game for a struggling Jalen Hurts, uh, puts Alabama on his back and takes him to a national championship. Then fast forward to the 2018 season and he's a bona fide superstar. Um, he's, you know, throwing balls on tight ropes. He's, you know, scoring 40, 50 points with some of the talent he's got over there and Jerry Judy, uh, Devonta Smith. I mean, he had Henry Ruggs, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Waddle, uh, Najee Harris. I mean, they had a ton of talent in Alabama. And to be honest, last year, he kind of reminded me of Burrow in 2018 because he was slinging the ball all over the place without any problems. And then even going into 2019, he looked just, I mean, unstoppable. Uh, and then, you know, you get up and get to LSU and he, he just plays lights out against LSU's defense, you know, scores more points on LSU's defense than any other team did all season. And, you know, he just looks great. But then, you know, he gets his hip injury, uh, breaks his hip. And, you know, he already had ankle issues. He had the, the tight the tightrope surgery uh, before the LSU game. Uh, you know, he, now he's got this hip issue, and some people say you just don't ever recover from a, a broken hip. Um, so he definitely uh, has a lot of question marks that come along with him, but the talent is there. I personally think uh, Tua is more talented than Joe Burrow, uh, but I think Tua just comes with bigger question marks. And, you know, teams that I think, you know, are going to be looking at Tua because supposedly um, his medicals are okay, but although two teams supposedly failed him on his physical – but teams that I would look for Tua to be looking at, maybe like Washington, if they're not happy with Dwayne Haskins. Uh, Detroit, Matt Stafford's you know, in his 30s. He's been having some injuries lately. Uh, is it time for a new guard in Detroit? Obviously Miami, who I think is the favorite to land Tua. But Miami may have to go up and get Tua because I don't think he's going to be there at five when they draft. And the other team I think who's also going to be interested is the Chargers. Now they do have Tyrod Taylor right now, but – uh, they obviously are kind of in a transition phase with Phillip Rivers going over to Indianapolis. Tyron Taylor really isn't the long answer. Um, can Anthony Lynn and the Chargers put together some picks to move up to get to him? I mean, man, would he be dynamite in that offense with Hunter Henry and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams? Uh, that's some really good possibilities. But if Tua can stay healthy, I think he can be just as good as Joe Burrow in the NFL. He certainly showed in college, and depending on the teams he goes, what he goes to, uh, would depend on, you know, his real fantasy value. Right. I, I do think it'd be a little surprising 
for the Redskins or Detroit to pull the trigger. But they may have seen I, they may have seen enough at Haskins. I'm not a Haskins guy, so I can't blame them. It just looks awful as a franchise to do that, and I do think some of that public respect, public perception, will hinder the right decision. So I think that most likely the Dolphins, but I would look maybe for a San Diego to Redskins trade up, or maybe San Diego or whatever. Well, the Chargers trade up to either San Diego or Detroit. Oh, Jesus. Washington or Detroit. Fuck everybody moving cities and shit. <laughs> but the Chargers need to move back. Like, can we just say it? They just need to move back. They just – they suck. But I think that if, if it's not Miami, um, I think it's because somebody went up and got it. Now, all of this talk coming out of Miami is they're talking themselves into Herbert, which to me is crazy. Don't do that. You know, I, to me, there, there is a clear top two and legit top two who can be franchised. The question is, is two are brittle. That's what people don't know because the ankle's legit injury. The hip was a legit injury. Um, and he didn't get those just necessarily running around crazy. I mean, it was a roll out of the pocket that, you know, broke his hip, but he was kind of banged up before. So everybody knows if you hurt, you know, something on your body, you start favoring in other ways and you expose yourself to more injury. I've seen the videos of Tua, you know, doing the squat jumps up on the, you know, the platforms of weights. He looks healthy. I saw the same thing you did about the two uh, failed physicals. But what isn't doubtable is his film. His film is legit. He is a career winner. Now, it does help a whole lot that you're throwing to probably two of the top four ranked receivers in this class. So he's always had talent. You know, that's an argument against Burrow as well. This year, the talent rose to the top and everything went right with that offense. But Alabama has NFL players everywhere. Now, he's going to go there, but now he's not going to be playing against Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas. You know, it's going to be against the Alabama defenses. So, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see how he evolves, but there is so little to nitpick about Tua. Joe is the safer pick due to the injury. I think Tua and Joe, because of the – now, they're very different, but they both have some mobility, not like Kyler Murray speed, but they both are mobile. They are mobile enough. They're Aaron Rodgers mobile. So – I think that they can get out in space. They can hold, make people accountable. They can. Joe needs to learn how to avoid the big hit in the pros. Uh, Tua should know that already. But Tua has a career: eighty-seven touchdowns, eleven interceptions. He doesn't make bad decisions. He puts it where his excellent players can make plays. I agree with you. The ideal spot is the Chargers because of all the skill positions, the win now, the good defense, the game script will benefit him not having to have that type of negative all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's been amazing his whole career. Well, now all of a sudden he has 11 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, you know, and you're eight games into the season or something, just because the game strike dictates that they have to play catch up, you know? So I do think that there are much better landing spots. And I think that he, you know, the Chargers is the one that I would hope for. I would not want the Redskins for him. I, you know, if it'd be great for the Redskins, I don't think Detroit's, invest the draft capital in Tua with Stafford probably having a couple years left where you could there this quarterback class is deep, but these two guys are franchise guys. I would be a little surprised by them. I would not be surprised if, if either of them had a brain, I would trade back. If I'm the Redskins, I feel I'm calling the Chargers to say, hey, 
you want him or not? And make them go up and get him and get some other capital. So really excited. Now he did do a bunch of workouts in this off season with Dilfer and Dilfer is telling anybody that'll listen, how amazing he is, how healthy he is, how high he is. And Dilfer openly says how skeptical he was about him initially. Uh, so I, I, I think he looks healthy. People are failing the physicals. I don't know what that means. You know, I don't – what goes into that. So, I think he is a franchise quarterback if he doesn't break. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. Um, to be honest, I think the kind of the failed physicals could be uh, – I think from my understanding, they can be just about anything. And you can easily fail him on a physical. And teams may be doing that to try to push his value down a little bit. So maybe the trade capital to move up and get him is not as large as say, oh, well, this is a healthy two. He's ready to go. Um, Washington, you know, let's, t- let's turn the phones on and make this a damn, you know, hotline. And, you know, we can call in like, like it's a damn telethon and have teams just calling in left and right offering trades. So I think that's kind of breaking news. I think that's where it comes in. Breaking news. The breaking news. The Dolphins, the Chargers failed to his physical. Oh, he's not good guys. Don't worry about it. He's broke. Exactly. Exactly. I've heard it. I've heard it happen. So I definitely think it's possible that some of these teams may have done that. But, uh, you know, the next guy on our list, on my list, is uh, Justin Herbert out of Oregon. I know on your list you have number three at Jalen Hurts. We'll get to that in a minute because I'm pretty high on Jalen Hurts myself. Um, Justin Herbert, though, you know, he's got the physical tools. He's 6'6". Um, you know, he can run, he can throw, but the only problem is he's a little bit inaccurate. Um, he kind of reminds me of Josh Allen. Uh, he tends to struggle under pressure. He struggled in some big games over at Oregon when he was on the road. You know, he, he had some opportunities to, to really shine, and he just never really took advantage of it. I mean, he had some gaudy stats out there playing out in the Pac-10, but uh, when he gets into the NFL and to the next level, you know, what is he really going to look like? Uh, to be honest, I think he, he could be a poor man's Josh Allen. Uh, I know some teams are kind of building up, but to me, Herbert has that uh, that potential to – that Aaron Rodgers potential to slide down the draft because teams just aren't certain about him uh, because he has so many inaccuracies, you know, when he's throwing the football. He, he really is not an impressive thrower. I think it's more about the tools and, you know, his ability and his physical uh, prowess that really uh, kind of jumps off the board for you. And you're really taking them on, you know, someone who's a little raw and probably needs, in my opinion, a year to sit behind a, a quarterback. Um, you know, I, I've heard Anthony Lynn, the Chargers are, are really, uh, you know, impressed by him. And, you know, that would definitely be a, certain, a good spot for him to go and maybe sit behind Tyrod for a year. But I'm just not sure he'll have a fantasy impact uh, this year. It's definitely someone who in dynasty formats you can t- probably take a look at. But as far as, like, a redraft league, I don't think he's even draftable. Right. Without, without a trade, he will be at the Chargers. You know, if, if, if Miami goes to a – and, you know, San Diego go, or Chargers go Herbert, it is going to be what it is. But, I mean, yeah, he's 6'6", 237. Part of my uh, holdup or disagreement with Herbert or why I would go with Hurts first is – When's the last time Oregon put out a quarterback that mattered in the NFL? You know, a lot of Oregon quarterbacks put up stats, and it never carries over. It's not like there's been a few bad examples. Like, they do not. There's been some bad Uh, examples, definitely. I mean, Marcus Mariota, Joey Harrington. I mean, that's just his name, too, right there. Right. 
and then they had they had another one somewhere in between there, a much more mobile guy. And it's just they don't they don't you know they they haven't transferred well. Now this you know Herbert is much more of a specimen than either one of them. Just when you kind of you look at some of the film and you look at some of the breakdowns of him, he has Eli Manning moments where he throws the ball. And the only reason the defender drops it is because it hits the defender square in the numbers and he wasn't even ready for it. Like he just, he kind of blanks out, it seems. And he kind of hits these, just, he just doesn't see it. And that's, if you're doing that in the Pac 12, it means that most of the time you're probably able to get away with it because you're in the Pac 12. And then all of a sudden it catches up with you. You know, this, he hasn't seen nearly what Joe or Tua have seen or what uh, Hertz has seen week in and week out. And that's, I think, part of it just the schemes and the overall talent is not there. So as far as the people around him, like he is a talent. He is a specimen. You said Josh Allen. I think he's maybe a little more big Ben um, with how Roethlisberger is. You know, he's a big guy, big arm, just, you know, just as far as apples to apples. But I, uh, his, his inability to have the vision that he does not possess is what really separates him from that tier. I don't think there's a huge gap from Burrow and Tua and their like cerebral abilities and breaking down a defense and knowing where to go with the football than a lot of these other guys. That's why they are the top of this class and they've been on top of the league the last, you know, three years, two years. So uh, I do think that he is a talent. I do think he will probably be the third quarterback off the board. I, you know, we, we hear the stuff about Miami talking themselves into Herbert over Tua, and it, it, it always happens in the draft season. You see these guys, you know, practice and throw footballs in their underwear, and these intangibles overwhelm the film and the competition, the history, and it's recency bias. Tua's hurt. Tua's banged up. Herbert's healthy. Herbert's big, big arm. Oh, well, you know, we could talk our way into this guy, and I just – I don't think that – he is as guaranteed as these other guys. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It, to me, Justin Herbert, uh, he, <clears throat> he's got bust written all over him. Just, that's just my personal opinion. Um, <clears throat> now, the other guy you have on your list at three, Jalen Hurts, I think he's definitely more ready than any other quarterback outside of two and Burrow for the NFL. I think he could come in and potentially be a quarterback that, uh, can see some time and actually be effective versus some of the other guys that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, you know, Hertz came, you know, he started in Alabama, led them to a national championship, uh, gets benched, you know, in the national championship for Tua, you know, sticks around for the next year, takes him to wins the SEC championship after Tua gets injured, and then basically gets kind of cast to the side. But, you know, Hertz, you know, had weapons, he has intangibles. Uh, he's got a great head on his shoulders. He shows really great leadership in the in the huddles. Uh, he was someone I always thought was – he kind of scared me, and he never got a whole lot of uh, good publicity because uh, he always had questions of where, whether he could throw the football. And when he went to Oklahoma, I felt like he answered that. You know, he hooked up with CeeDee Lamb a lot, and that he took that off to new levels. And, and Jalen Hurts was in the running for another Heisman Trophy this year. Obviously, it wasn't going to happen with Joe Burrow's year, but – Hertz was certainly capable, and he certainly looked the part this year. And, you know, he had a great combine. He's kind of turned himself into maybe like a, a second or third day selection, maybe to the early second round, maybe even sneaking into the first round uh, for someone like, you know, maybe like Pittsburgh 
who is going to be looking for a replacement for uh, Ben Roethlisberger at some point. Maybe even someone like Jacksonville is Garden Minshew the answer. You want to bring in some competition, maybe hurt slides to the middle second round where, you know, a Jacksonville can take him and give him a little competition for Gardner Minshew. But like I said, I really think Hurts uh, is, is definitely got a lot of talent. Uh, he certainly has capabilities with his legs. He can score. He can run. And I definitely think he is the third best uh, pro-ready quarterback at this point in the, in the year uh, than most of the other names on the list. Right. I think that his transition from Alabama to Oklahoma, I think you saw some – significant growth in running an offense, especially that spread offense. Now it is very quarterback friendly. Obviously, you know, you're following Kyler and Baker. So, you know, there is a lot of talent uh, coming out of Oklahoma and the scheme Lincoln Riley's, you know, there's a reason Lincoln Lincoln Riley was linked to a lot of pro jobs and a lot of people were interested in him. Uh, But I do think that having that uh, top tier college opportunity also exposes you. you know, he's been through two different offenses, so he's probably as adept as everybody but Joe in being able to transition to something different. One thing that he has that none of these other guys have that we've talked about or probably below are going to have. I mean, he was trained as a powerlifter his whole life. Like he is built like a brick shit house. Like he is freaking strong, big legs. He is not the injury risk that probably anybody is just because of his build. Uh, he, again, he's not a cerebral conda as Tua or Joe. And I think that showed. I mean, you got to see Tua and Hurts apples and apples, and Tua was the better talent. But Hurts kind of compares, you know, I read on, you know, talking to, looking through the athletic, they kind of compared him. One guy compared him to Dak, one guy compared him to Tebow. Now, he may not be all the where Dak ended up initially starting because Dak is a specimen as well, like a physical specimen that can do a whole lot. But Jalen is very close to that. I think he has much more upside than Tebow, but he has that that drive, that that lower half drive that Tebow does have, like that strength. So I think if he went to the right team, like I have the Colts or Detroit, because you know Rivers isn't the long-term solution, and you know that Stafford is on borrowed time and is a hit away from another you know vertebrate crackling. So somewhere's where like Romo got hurt and retired and – that got immediately got to be able to step in and contribute. He could have even more opportunity than Joe or Tua because you know Joe and Tua are going to a you know a shit show. You know, Bengals have a lot of talent. They're a bad team. Dolphins have some talent. They're going to be a bad team. I think the Chargers have a chance to win. So if either one of them went there, that would be the better landing spot. But if he ends up like you said, Pittsburgh, if Ben gets hurt again, if Rivers gets hurt, or Maybe they don't have any, they don't have any invest, that much invested. Maybe there's a better spot. So I do think that he is going to fall as the draft goes. So I do think that he's going to have a value. And he could be on, like, if he's on the Colts, that is a winning team right now. I mean, they are built to win. They have the pieces. They have the defense. They have the coach. So I think there's a whole lot of interest there. Um, I agree with you, another veteran-type situation where they're not the future, but the Packers have met with Hurts as well. So, you know, a run play action team. Now you have somebody that has mobility and strength. Rodgers, he gets the Rodgers treatment with the Packers organization. Like he got, like Rodgers got with Favre. He comes in, Rodgers treats him like shit for two years, but then they move on. And that could be, that's not going to be immediate, but that could be great for 
Jalen in the future. So a lot of different landing spots for him. I, and because of his mobility and strength and ability to uh, take some hits, I think that he could put in a probably – that's why I have him three. Because to me, even if Herbert is the higher draft pick and he immediately starts, if Hurts ended up in the right spot, either behind a hurt, you know, a injury-prone guy or another team looking, he could put up more immediate points this year. Yeah. And I'm obviously – I'm not a Herbert guy. Like, I agree with you. He has bust written all over him. So, I'm a Hurts believer. And I, where you can get him in your draft and in the real draft, his value is going to be even more significant because you probably can get a skill guy first. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, I do believe in Jalen Hurts, and I think in the right situation he could be uh, you know, just just as good as, as Tua, in my opinion. He's certainly got the talent, uh, but he just has to land in the right well, spot. And, right, exactly. Let's say him or one of these other guys end up in a really good spot. And for a dynasty example, uh, the dynasty league we're in, you're picking second. Well, that would give you an opportunity to take a skill player, whether it's running back, receiver, whatever you want, but then know that you know either Herbert or Hurts have an opportunity and how are all these other people going to pass the ball out of the skill guys, but then having that in an early second round pick and probably win the draft if something, you know, it falls like that, you know, having an early pick like that going with a Jonathan Taylor or a Judy or a Swift or a Clyde Edwards, Alaire or rugs or whomever lamb, depending on who ends up with the best spot. I mean, it's so deep everywhere. You take the guy that you believe in the most and maybe one of these quarterbacks, you know, if four of them end up in a five of them could end up realistically in, in really good landing spots. And the next guy on my list and on your list is Jordan Love. And to me, that's kind of the cutoff for the next tier where these guys can have immediate value and you can look at getting one of these guys in the second round because the odds of going, you know, five quarterbacks going in the first round of a redraft, I mean, you're going to be passing up on so many running backs and quarter, I mean, running backs and wide receivers. Yeah, it's going to be real. I, I don't, I just don't see it happening unless you have multiple picks. Yeah. Now, Jordan Love, to me, he's a boomer bust kind of, kind of guy. He comes out of Utah State. He's 6'4, uh, 225. Um, you know, he, he showed a lot of great talent at Utah State. You know, maybe it was the conference and the, and the competition that he was going against. You know, Utah State, Utah State came over to LSU this year. And Jordan Love really wasn't that impressive. You know, maybe it's just because they were just so overmatched by LSU because of how good LSU was. Um, but he certainly has a lot of talent. He's got a very big arm. Um, not as accurate with throwing the football. Uh, he certainly needs the improvement upon that. Uh, Jordan Love is someone who uh, I think it needs at least a year to sit behind a veteran quarterback, uh, to learn a little bit, to watch the game from the sidelines and try to grow a little bit, you know, maybe mentally. And, and a little bit physically, and then maybe take that next step in a year or two. Um, to be honest, I think a good spot for Jordan Love, and I'm not sure how you know this team feels about him, but uh, you wanna, you've got a big arm, you've got talent. Uh, New Orleans, to me, it could be a, a, a secret landing spot for Jordan Love <clears throat> because somebody you have to replace, uh, you have to replace Drew Brees at some point. I'm not sure Taysom Hill's the answer. I'm not sure the Saints believe in that. But Jordan Love is somebody who could essentially sit behind Drew Brees for a year, uh, learn from one of the best ever to do it, and maybe see if he can go out and try to mimic a little bit of Drew Brees. But uh, I do think – I don't think he's someone who you're going to draft in a redraft league. Um, Dynasty, he'll probably go mid to late first round um, in a super flex league and a – Wow, you, you think I think that someone will take him in the late – in a super flex league, I think someone takes him late first round. 
No, I, it's, I think his pick in a for that early would have to be in a much sooner than yeah, a Saints and, and you're right. I guess. You're definitely right. Yeah. It really depends on the situation he lands in, uh, according to where he 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 would go in a dynasty. Uh, you know, super flex league. If it was in a, if it was just a dynasty one quarterback league, you know, he's probably more of a second or third round pick, in my opinion. <clears throat> sure, I you know Utah State. You know, six four two twenty five. One thing about Love that's probably the next most similar to Burrow and Tua is his traits, like his abilities, are very versatile to allow multiple schemes. You know, he has that big arm. He has a huge arm. Now, that huge arm gets him in trouble because he just lets it rip, and that sucker sails on him. Uh, he is very inaccurate. Now, he's not Herbert. I'm going to throw it at the linebacker's chest inaccurate. He's just missing them wide or high one way or the other. So, that needs to get reeled in some. But if you're an NFL team and the arm is too big, I bet you they're going to think they can coach him up. So I do think uh, Utah State ran a whole lot of West Coast type of schemes. So you look for somewheres that really would fit that. And or you know, that quick, that crossing, that check down, stuff like, you know, quick dinks and dunks to get it out of there, crossing routes. The one that I read that was really cool was the sneaky pick for Jordan Love that would be early would be Vegas. You know, he fits into Gruden's scheme. Gruden is Mr. West Coast. Derek Carr, you know, they keep on saying how much they love Derek Carr, which means they don't love Derek Carr. Like, anytime you have to come out and it, if you have to say you are the king, you are no true king. So, I love Derek Carr. We're looking for another quarterback. That's oh. what I hear. So, I think that he could, you know, wherever – I think whether Vegas is like 15 or something, I think that that is a immediate – like a much – similar to like you say, Breeze – Breeze is on a clock because of retirement, and he can learn. Carr's on a clock because they're going to Vegas, baby, and they want to yeah. win. It, it'll so definitely be interesting. I uh, think that I mean, if they get – you know, and Gruden can be sold on that stuff. I think another – like similar to your New Orleans expectation, I think Green Bay kind of fits in that mold. You got years behind Rodgers. Maybe Rodgers starts petering off, you know. But a huge player would be – where are they at? Like 23, 24? Yeah, the Patriots, 23. I don't know if you know this. They need a – they need a quarterback. So, you know, uh, Hoyer only got a, probably another year or two left. So, but I think the Patriots can get, if they can get love in there, and we're talking about, you know, West Coast system, the defense is, whatever the Patriots are, that defense is very good. Belichick is a great defensive coach. And, uh, oh, what's your boy? McDaniel, you know, he, you know, you got Edelman, you have not the best skill group. It's going to be a lot of quick, Get it out in a hurry, dink and duck type of things. You have the big arm, but with that West Coast option, that could be huge dividends out start. So love's very interesting, especially if he goes in the first round. Now, if he falls to the second, now I think you're talking about the Packers and the Saints. I'd be surprised if the Saints take him in the first, unless they're really sold on. Yeah, I honestly do think Jordan Love will go in the first round. I really truly believe that. Um, I think he's got enough talent. And it really only takes one team to fall in love, you know, with someone like a, a Jordan Love, who's got a big arm, it's got a lot of talent, but um, can they harness it? Now, this next guy, to me, he probably has, uh, he's probably, his peak is really not very high. He's got a pretty, you know, good floor, but I don't think his peak is very high at all. And that's Jake Fromm uh, over from Georgia. You know, someone, you know, who played in his freshman year who just played lights out and looked like he was going to be a, a top three pick in two years. 
Um, you know, from his freshman year on, he really just started kind of fizzling out. I don't know if it was, you know, because he had more competition around him uh, in his freshman and sophomore years, whether it was Jacob Eason or uh, Justin, um, Justin Fields, who was transferred to Ohio State. But every year from his freshman year on down, he just kind of he started getting worse, in my opinion. Uh, he's someone who is, to me, a dink and dunker. He's not going to be someone who you know throws the football deep. Um, he's got good accuracy. But like I said, he, he's talented. He's just got a low. He's got a low ceiling. Um, he's safe with the football. He's not someone who's going to you know turn over a whole lot. He kind of reminds me of someone like an Andy Dalton, um, or maybe like a Jimmy Garoppolo, who doesn't really you know turn the football over. They're, they kind of manage it. They're smart with the ball. And uh, you know, teams that I think could be you know look for somebody like him, uh, maybe someone like a Minnesota. You know, Kirk Cousins going into his uh, uh, well, excuse me, Kirk Cousins recent. Didn't he resign a, a two-year, three-year deal? Yeah, he just signed an extension. But I mean, you know, right. Um, I do think Minnesota could be an option. Fromm could sit behind, you know, and be a reputable backup. Uh, I even think San Francisco could be an option with Jimmy Garoppolo back there. I also think, and I think to to your point with both of those teams, I think with Fromm because of his inabilities and his very mediocreness, a play-action run-first team is the only chance he has to thrive. So you, you, you're saying Minnesota, San Francisco, who uh, I didn't have a team on here. I just had that type of team. But actually, I lied. I had the Vikings on here, and I had the Browns. A run-first team, he can be confident. Yes. But, you know, at, and you can go into your third team. I mean, didn't no, even no. interrupt you. But, we. I mean, it's very much in the same mindset of if it's a play-action run-first team and he can be responsible with the football – he will have an opportunity. Yeah, actually, my third but, team was Cleveland, believe it or not. There we go. I should have – see, I should have like, – <laughs> All right, we got to start arguing. I'm going to start – Yeah, I mean, it's just, so you know, if, I, I feel like Fromm would fit these run-first offenses, these 12 personnel offenses like San Francisco, Minnesota, Cleveland, you know, who are going to run the football, and Fromm can work off the play action, and I think that's where he's best at. He's not someone you're going to put in the shotgun and let sling the football around 40 times a game. Right, and for the sake of time, like, I agree with everything you just said. We obviously have the same teams. You know, he – now, I, I, I say this in the sense that he's going to be drafted in the NFL, and he played Division One football at the highest level. So, all that being said, but compared to all those other people, he is average at everything or below average. Like, he is – his best intangible, which if you – everything you've ever heard about Jake Fromm or you read about or you look into is – the only person that gets described more of a leader as him is Jalen Hurts, even more than Burrow. Like, Burrow came in, won the team, and, you know, we obviously heard about it all the time. But Fromm and Hurts are, like, leaders. So, whatever they – they have the it factor. Um, I think some of your comparisons are very generous to even, you know, Andy Dalton. I mean, the red rifle, man, he'll sling it. He's safe with it. But my, my boy back there and freaking let her rip. Fromm won't. You know, it's just – he, he – he is okay at everything, even his size. Just he is okay. I personally think he is a career backup unless he ends up in one of the three situations. I think he could be like the next Chase Daniel. So, right, but Chase Daniel at least had different variables, you know. But if I, I you know, when it's all said and done, if I could pick an NFL player to be, I would yeah. be Chase Daniel because you literally do nothing and make well, either him or Matt Flynn. You know, you get a fat contract, you never start a game in Seattle. Yeah, but Chase Daniels just got yeah, signed again. Got, I think he was in Detroit. Just, he keeps making money. 
Yeah, he's he's made like thirty four million in his career. I'm just like, fuck. Why couldn't I be just great compared to normal humans, but mediocre compared to like yeah. the premier ones and just milk a yeah. contract? <clears throat> no doubt about it. Uh, this next guy on our list, who we both got at seven, uh, that's Jacob Eason. Uh, you know, number one quarterback coming out of high school, signs with Georgia. Uh, Jake Fromm comes in the same the same year. Uh, not as heralded as Jacob Eason, uh, not as talented, but Jake Fromm wins the job. Uh, Jacob Eason struggles at Georgia's first year, immediately transfers out, goes over to Washington. You know, has some pretty good seasons in Washington. You know, uh, Eason you know, stands at six six, two twenty seven. Uh, but he has a lot of inconsistencies. He had a lot of trouble throwing uh, deep balls. He had a lot of trouble with accuracy on crossing routes. Um, he's got a, a lot of talent and, you know, a lot of physical tools. But I'm not sure he's someone who's going to be overly successful in the NFL. Um, certainly not going to be successful from a, a fantasy standpoint. Yeah, I, I have big and dumb on my notes. So he's a lesser version of Herbert. You know, he's the big body. He has those – Jamarcus, just monster stat, you know, physical stature, and it's just it it, it, it doesn't connect. Uh, I shockingly, with everything I just said, I have on here at the destination. If the Patriots believe they can, st- they want to give Stidham true run, and they don't go for love up, then I think Eason could have a landing spot there and have a year or two and see if that works out. And if I'm Belichick, I draft a quarterback every year because some dumb NFL team will trade you for a Belichick quarterback, whether it's, you know, Matt Castle or Brissett or Garoppolo, all of which have their own whatever. But uh, I think that Belichick could turn Eason into a trade, if anything. I, I Belichick seems like he does, like, the league like I do fantasy. Like, I want to draft this trade. I think that's what he does with backup quarterbacks. But I just – He's got the huge arm. He's very similar size-wise to Herbert. I just he's he's not as well-rounded. He has not developed. I agree with you. He he is an absolute project that if he has any fantasy value, it's probably yeah. It's years. it's nothing that's going to return uh, immediate value. Uh, the last guy I've got on my list is James Morgan out of Florida International. Uh, not someone who you know has gaudy statistics. Um, has a pretty solid arm, has some really good accuracy, played at Florida International, it was a lesser-known school, uh, played some lesser-known teams like Florida Atlantic and some other teams like that. You know, didn't really show a whole lot, but gets to the Senior Bowl, um, has a great week of practice, uh, does some really good things in the Senior Bowl game, and all of a sudden he's got a little attention. You know, rumor has it that Bill Belichick is really in love with him. And, you know, maybe he could be the next Tom Brady. He's not going to be somebody who's going to be fantasy relevant immediately. Um, probably someone who's more of like a day three pick, more like a fourth or fifth round pick. Um, I do think New England could be a possibility. Uh, another team like Minnesota or Pittsburgh, you know, somebody looking for a quarterback that, you know, can sit back behind the veteran for a couple of years and learn a little bit before, you know, getting into the starting nod. Yeah, I have nothing to offer on him. My uh, eighth was uh, Anthony Gordon, and the reason you know I have him there is some of his more for a talking point than anything. Because obviously, you know we're at this point, and who knows we're all spitballing. But uh, Anthony Gordon, Washington State, what separates him from some of these other guys is his quick release and accuracy. Like he really gets the ball in and out in a hurry, uh, based off of what uh, Washington State ran. But he would have to fall like for him to have any sort of 
value, that quick release, like somewhere's like Chicago, because now you got Foles, you got Trubisky, you know, they can fight it out and pay them. You get a rookie in there, but Nagy's, you know, system is quick hitter stuff like that. Another team that I thought of that I haven't stolen from somebody else that just kind of hit me, but somebody like this that could be a project. You know, they signed Teddy, but Carolina coming with that Joe Brady type of offense where. A lot of different options, get the ball out in a hurry, make your progressions quickly. I think Anthony Gordon could fit in that type. It'd have to be a scheme fit more than a talent is going to just, you know, cream rise to the crop yeah. situation. And then uh, <clears throat> lastly, I, I did a little uh, little ghost nugget for everybody, um, but some, uh, you know, our little quick bio for all you people that are drafting late and you want to, you know, you really want to spit ball and have an opportunity. Uh, Mason Fine who North Texas, 5'11", you know, nothing special, you know, shorter quarterback, but career all-time leading passer in the program's history, 12,505 yards, also set the record with passing touchdowns, 93, uh, 140.68 efficiency rating, 100 combined total touchdowns, 1,039 completions out of 1,655 attempts, and had a career completion percentage of 62.8 with the most 300-yard games, 18 in the whole time. All that being said, he is the lowest-rated quarterback from the tangibles, but he's working out with Breeze this offseason. The Saints are interviewing him. The 49ers reached out to him. So, you know, one of these guys, a small school, you know, he's, he's, he's a gamer. Just, you know, you're looking, you're looking deep. You want a dart throw? I got one for this. I got one for the running backs. But uh, Mason Fine is my – off the beaten path type of quarterback where if he falls in to the right spot, you know, again, you know, any of these guys get hurt, you know, or, you know, they're going to about to retire or things change. One of these guys that could rise up and I'm not saying he's going to be Brady, but he could be one of these late round, just unassuming guys that who knows you find the right spot. I like it. I like it a lot. I like the boldness. You want to, you want to look smart at your draft? I like it. it. I like the boldness a lot. Uh, someone not a whole lot of people uh, know about, but I tell you what, the guys that we're getting ready to talk about now, uh, moving over to the running backs, uh, a lot of these guys, a lot of these people listening uh, know who some of these guys are. Um, starting out on my list, uh, I think he's pretty uh, unanimous, number one across the board for rookie running backs. That's Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. Uh, led the country in rushing with 2,000 rushing yards, 21 touchdowns, uh, 26 receptions, runs a 4-3-9 at the combine. Uh, physical gifted, can catch the ball at the backfield. Um, I definitely think he's going to be the first running back off the board. Um, does he Does he get out, get to the second round? Uh, really depends on a team that thinks maybe fits his needs. Um, and I'm looking at someone like maybe like a Kansas City. Um, if he does end up sliding into the second round, I think Miami definitely needs a running back because I don't think Jordan Howard's answered. Um, could be someone, you know, like in Atlanta who's going to be looking for a running back as well, although – I think Atlanta is going to be keen on uh, DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, hometown boy. They've watched him play a whole lot. But Jonathan Taylor certainly has a skill set, and he's someone I think who can be a three-down running back in the NFL. I Absolutely. He is the most well-rounded running back. I don't think he is the best at anything, if that makes any sense. He doesn't have the high-end speed that some of these other guys the, – the true high-end speed that some of these other guys. Uh, he's not going to be – a huge pass catcher, but he can catch the ball. But he is the clear number one. He has amazing awareness, really good vision. The best comparisons that I saw 
were comparing him to Fournette and Geist without that high end speed. You know, whatever Geist was at LSU and what he's been in the pros, whatever Fournette was and is at now, Fournette is a superior athlete with a high end speed because when Leonard hits the open field, he is freaking gone. So Taylor is like Fournette in that he can do everything. He just doesn't have that next gear, but you don't necessarily have to have that. He is, you know, he's not quite a three down back. Um, I think uh, there's better three down backs that we're going to talk about, but he will be the first back off the board. I think it's crazy. Just the way the league is, I guess, is what's dictating it. And it shows how quality this draft is because these running backs would all be so much better. And, you know, our, my, I have the top three in one tier and the next couple below them in another tier. And these guys would all could all be the number one pick in any given year. And there's, you know, the wide receivers getting all the press. Burrow and Tour are getting a bunch of press. The offensive linemen, the defensive players are phenomenal as well. And the running backs are just got, getting pushed to the side. So I don't disagree with you that he's going to fall to the second round. But, like, somebody's dream spot, which I've seen a lot of places, is at 49th overall to Pittsburgh, which would be ridiculous uh, for the Steelers. And I just – I don't see how he goes that long, but – then you look at all these other pieces and you got to remember 11 guys playing on the other side of the ball too. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think he's clearly the best. I would not be surprised if he's a first round pick. He's a first round talent, but you know, I guess, you know, a lot of these guys are all very close to being a very, like a premier running back, but they all have one kind of thing that holds them up. You know, there's not an Ezekiel Elliott, a Leonard Fournette. There's just a lot of really good guys. And I think part of the reason that, the league thinks they're going to fall to the second round is because there's so many guys that are so close together with different specific skills. And this wide receiver class is just fucking loaded. So, uh, you know, and the line is good and the defensive players are phenomenal. So I think that it's pushing these very good high end running backs down. So, you know, where I'm not going to speculate where I think a lot of these guys go, Jonathan Taylor will be, a freaking player wherever he's at. He is one of my few guys that, well, most of these guys I think are going to be fine, but he, like, I didn't put a team because I agree with you. Like, if you told me Miami reached with their third pick and took a running back after, I, you know, because after the overview when we first did it, I was, like, against the idea. But you put Jonathan Taylor with another two other picks in front of him, Tua, Jonathan Taylor, and a defender, like, yeah. let's go. Let's, and, let's and, see what happens. And I will say this. <laughs> There's no way in how Jonathan Taylor's falling to 49 in Pittsburgh. That's Pittsburgh. I don't, I don't, I don't agree either. I don't agree either. But like people talk about their, you know, ideal landing spots. You know, it's a a team that's that would fit Pittsburgh well. Team and uh, oh yeah, exactly. And that's the that's the. But I don't. You name a team, and I will say yes because that's where he's going to fit. You would hope that he would go. What you hope for Jonathan Taylor is not a specific team a team that needs a premier running back that maybe can be spelled on some third downs, not all third downs either. Cause he is going to have some catches, but you don't want him to go to Jacksonville. You don't want him. If he went to the saints, for example, which isn't going to happen. What like if Latavius is truly just out of the way, he could be the Ingram to Kamara and Kamara's contracts coming up. And all of a sudden John, the tail, like there are so many landing spots that make sense. Everywhere's an elite. Makes sense. Yeah, for it'll Dr. be interesting Taylor. to see where he lands. Um, I do think that's just Pittsburgh beat writer talking there because uh, John the Taylor's too good to, to last that long. And I think there's some definitely running back needy teams 
ahead of Pittsburgh in the second round that will definitely take him. And I think I don't think this next guy will be there either for Pittsburgh at 49. It's DeAndre Swift, uh, you know, out of Georgia, stud running back. Um, you know, he's been there for three years now. He's done well running. He's done it against, you know, gaudy competition. He's, you know, looked really good two years ago uh, when he came to LSU. You know, uh, Swift and Holyfield were eating LSU's lunch in the first half, and he was running all over LSU. You know, last year he ran for 1,216 yards, seven touchdowns to 24 receptions, and then he runs a 4-4-8 at the combine. Uh, to me, this is somebody who, who just can, you know, can fit uh, that first and second down workload and is able to kind of really grind out and get you some good yards. I do think Atlanta is a really good fit for him. You know, it's a hometown kid. Um, he's from Georgia. I just think it's a good fit. You know, Gurley is there. He could definitely be in there to dispel Gurley because Brian Hill and Edo Smith are certainly not the answer. Um, but don't be surprised if he lands somewhere like in Tampa Bay too because Ronald Jones isn't the answer either. And Tom Brady needs somebody better than Ronald Jones to, to move that offense up and down the field. Yeah, we suck. We say the same things. <laughs> um so, yeah, so uh, I will disagree with you on one thing in a second. But, yeah, he, he has great moves. He has great vision. Uh, he's very quick. He doesn't have uh, – he is quick with the burst, but he doesn't – again, same thing as Jonathan Taylor. He's not going to necessarily run away from you. Like, there's a lot of tape of Swift getting ran down, which, again, that's not the end of the world, but it'd be nice if, you know, you broke one wide open, you could take it to the house. But, you know, he does have some fumbling. He is not a good blocker, which could keep him off of some third down. However, he is a great pass catcher. So, like, my what I was going to say, I disagree. Like, I think that if he goes to Atlanta, he's the second, third down. Gurley's the first, second down, and they kind of, you know, switch in and out. But I think they're very similar in their current skill set. You know, Gurley obviously is a much better talent in his prime uh, prior to missing his knees. But I think that if he goes to Atlanta, he's the third down guy. Uh, but, you know, I think they're almost interchangeable because Gurley's kind of in that role, I don't – he has some first and second down benefit. I think that if his his premier landing spot is Tampa, because then he could be the third – he could be the three down back because of what they have to offer. So I do think that there is significant upside there. But I'll tell you that pretty much any running back that ends in Tampa, lands in Tampa, we're going to say is going to have significant value. Uh, what Swift can offer that Jonathan Taylor won't is Swift can be – I think Kamara or Eckler with in the sense that you could have limited touches and still have fantasy value. You know, Kamara in the beginning of his career, Eckler, even with Melvin Gordon, I think because he does have an ability to catch the ball, he needs to figure out the blocking or you can't be in on third down because they can't just always know you're going to have a route. But I think that he could go into that mold because of that, uh, that, that shiftiness where he could have some value initially, regardless of where he goes as well. He's not, uh, we'll talk about, I'm sure, Clyde Edwards and Laird coming up. Swift is closer to a three-down back than Clyde is. But he can he's kind of the – he's the bridge between Jonathan Taylor to Clyde Edwards and Laird, if you know what I mean. Like, it's almost like a one-two-three. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you on Clyde Edwards and Laird right now. Um, I have Clyde Edwards and Laird at three. I know you have him at four. But to me, I think Edwards Elaire can be a three down back. He did it in the SEC all year long against top notch defense, against NFL uh, prospects all over the field, whether it was Bama, Clemson, Auburn. 
I mean, he did it, and he did it with flair and looked really good. Just, just I want you to just go and turn on the LSU versus Alabama tape from this year, and that's all you need to know about Clyde Edwards-Elair. The kid has heart, and that's something you can't teach. Uh, he's five. I know he's small. He's five seven. You know, he ran a four six. He wasn't overly, you know, fast. But he's got great vision. He has great blocking skills, which to me in the NFL, if you're a rookie running back and you want to get on the field. You better learn how to block for the fucking quarterback. Otherwise, your ass will not be on the field. And Clyde Edwards-Elair can do that. He did it at LSU, and he was, you know, one of Joe Burrow's, you know, favorite escape artists, you know, dumping off in the flat. And then, you know, Clyde Edwards-Elair will go get a first down or go score a touchdown or do whatever Clyde did. But Clyde often reminds me of someone like Mark Ingram. You know, he's very small. He's compact. You know, he I feel like he can run between the tackles, and I really think he is a three-down back. And falling in a good situation, to me, he could be one of the top, if not the top, rookie running backs for fantasy coming out uh, for 2020. You know, someone like a uh, Tampa or even like a Kansas City, because I'm sure Andy Reid is slobbering all over Clyde Edwards-Elair, because to me, Edwards-Elair is a three-down back, and he can keep, protect Mahomes, and he would fit in a, a, a high-powered offense, you know, like a Kansas City, in my opinion. I, I just think. Uh, Edward Zeller has all the tools to be successful. And then, you know, he has the effort and he has the heart and that's something you can't teach. No, I, I obviously I don't disagree with any of that. I, I, I think he'd have to be in the right situation to be a third down, a three down back. I think that he, any of these guys depend on where they land. And I do, I have uh, JK Dobbins for me, I have him three and you have Dobbins down at five. But I'm Clyde's my yeah. four, so you know we're we're nitpicking at this point. And depending on where they land, absolutely, I would draft Clyde first out of all these running backs. Depending on where they end up, I uh, I uh, Clyde's great pass catcher. He has that low center of gravity. That freaking he has amazing balance. He's hard to tackle only because he's hard to hit. Like when you get your hands on him, he goes down okay. Like obviously he fights for yards, but he's not you know some monster to bring down the problem is is freaking getting your hands on it after you make three people miss yeah the fourth guy's gonna fucking tackle you so i do think that he has huge upside uh he is the ppr darling of this entire group i think swift may be a little closer to that three down but i think that if you get for me you know the top four are the premier guys and it's a matter of system and fit, and I don't think that Clyde necessarily fits. Like, I wouldn't want Clyde to go to San Francisco, and they run no, the ball all the time, but that's just not his skill set. Right, so, and you don't want him to go to San Diego because you don't want to, or fuck San Diego, the Chargers, because you have two Eckler. So, you know, it's, it's, you kind of have what, what, I think the Ingram comparison is very good. I think Ingram feels bigger, although they are almost identical in size. Clyde feels much more versatile, much more, uh, much quicker. You know, he has that freaking shake to him that Mark doesn't necessarily have. Mark kind of runs for contact and Clyde just fucking uh, just makes people miss. So I think he's uh, a a premier talent for not being the most talented guy. And it's kind of funny. Um, He just, I want, I have, if he's at Tampa, he could be a three down running back. If he's in Atlanta, he won't be. I thought you know, your pick was great. Um, 
it's it's where he can go. If he can go to like Detroit, for example, and maybe carry on still as a true first and second down type of back, but Clyde is a the third down and second down back, and Detroit maybe falls behind. Clyde could be immediately beneficial to them. You know, you would like him to go somewhere like the Colts, but you know, you have Naheem Hines there, so there's a ton of landing spots. He could go to Jacksonville, and him and Leonard could be a one-two type of thing because Clyde may be capable of being a three-down workload, but I don't think that any NFL GM is going to see him as that until he earns it or an injury puts him in that role. Similar to Eckler. You know, they just didn't want to believe it because you had Melvin Gordon. You know, it's you see it, and you're like, oh, yeah, he's the big guy. You got to give him the ball. So I don't think it's fair. I just – yeah, I mean, look, and I, I will say this. You know, you said top four running backs. I do think there is a fifth running back who kind of belongs in this little tier. Uh, that's Cam Akers, but we'll get to Cam Akers in a second. Uh, the next guy, you know, you have is J.K. Dobbins at three. I've got J.K. Dobbins at five. I do like J- uh, Dobbins. I think he's got a great skill set. Um, I, I'm a little have, I have a little more questions on J.K. Dobbins' health. Uh, he had some ball control issues at Ohio State, but he's a burner. Um, he had some huge runs at Ohio State, rushed for 2,000 yards, 21 touchdowns. Um, you know, he did it against some quality defenses in the Big Ten. Uh, he played, you know, in, in a great offense at Ohio State with Justin Fields under Urban Meyer. You know, that, that offense was high power. They were, you know, ranked number one most of the season. And, you know, J.K. Dobbins was one of the main reasons because of that, because he is a dynamic running back and he is a burner. And if he gets on that outside and, you know, misses a couple tackles, he, he's going to be gone and you're not catching him. He certainly can burn, and uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, I think he, he can, you know, depend on it's all like it's all dependent on the landing spots of some of these guys, you know, where they're going to rank. Because a lot of these rankings could change um, in a week and a half after the draft. I mean, who knows? Edwards Elair could be jump up to number one. It really all depends on these landing spots for these guys. But I do think uh, Cam Akers it belongs in that tier with J.K. Dobbins and other guys. Well, as far as Cam Akers. I think the physical tools are there. It's just impossible to tell if he's any good. Now, you can tell he's good because he's performed with a shitty team, but he's been on a shitty team, so it's hard to tell how good he is. So there's like a give and take because Florida State was so bad. Uh, As far as Dobbins, for me, I mean, Dobbins has the film. He is a solid freaking running back. He can catch. He can block. He's probably, for me, the most well-rounded, I think, Jonathan Taylor is better between the tackles. I think Swift has kind of that in-between. Clyde, like I said, he's that third down. He's the best third down. I think they can all do all three, but Dobbins is the most well-rounded, uh, and he does have that high-end speed. He can be a three-down block, uh, three block because of the backing. Uh, three-down back because of the blocking. It's, again, all landing spot, and I think Jonathan Taylor is superior in some regards, and I think Swift offers intangibles. That's why I have Dobbins at three, because I think he is the best of the middle. But I think because of scheme and how I would rank them, I have, you know, I have Dobbins at my third. But I, I think that any of my top four are going to perform. And any of these other running backs, again, is going to, like you said, completely end up on destination. But if you tell me that Miami goes through their first three first-round picks and they go whomever, Tua, Herbert, two defenders and offensive linemen and they come around and put Dobbins at running back. Like, I mean, it's, you know, and you have people talking the second round. So, so you put Jonathan Taylor at the second round, like that's why 
I think a lot of these guys, to your credit, I, it's crazy to think that they're going to fall as far as they are. But let Miami wait to the second round to take a running back. And you know what? Take whoever's fucking left. Because running backs are great to fit a scheme, but quarterbacks really matter. Wide receivers offer very versatile different things. And so do running backs. But at the same time, running backs have the shortest shelf life. Let's get some young guys with fresh fucking legs and let's go put them out there and just see what they can do. Like, I think running back can be forced into a scheme easier than some of these other guys can. And that's where, you know, you, you, you put somebody like that on one of these early picks and Dobbins, I think Dobbins is the most ready for here's three downs. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where these guys land. Um, you know, going back to Cam Akers, uh, you know, Cam Akers was one of the highest rated running backs in uh, Rivals history coming out of high school, out of Mississippi. Uh, you know, so yeah, you you turn on some of this tape in high school, and it's just freak. unbelievable. I mean, five star kid, you know, comes down to LSU, Florida State, and he chooses Florida State, and I'm sure he regretted that literally probably three months later. Um, you know, they. They were in constant. Maybe he doesn't like jewelry. Jimbo Fisher no. leaves. <laughs> um, the coach Morgan comes in. He's out. New coaches in. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. And it was constant inconsistencies. And he's such a great talent, in my opinion. You know, he's five ten. Runs a four four seven. Uh, you know, he didn't have the greatest uh, numbers at Florida State because Florida State was just so bad. But he did rush for eleven hundred yards, fourteen touchdowns, and had thirty receptions. I do think he can play all three downs. Um, I do think, you know, in, in the right spot, he, he could have some viability in a fantasy uh, from a fantasy setting. And I do think he does belong in, in these in the top five tier of, of running backs between these guys. I think he has the talent. He, he's a freak. And on the right team and given the right opportunity, he certainly could shine. Yeah, he's he's super athletic. He has the intangibles. Um, you know, he had a 35 and a half inch vertical or 35.5 which is only more impressive until we talk about one of my other guys later. What's great for him is he is built and has the skill set to handle a workload. So, you know, similar to Dobbins and similar to Taylor, he can handle the impact, you know, the carries. And he's a downhill runner that doesn't shy away from contact. You know, I have him as like a, a small Derrick Henry. Like, he is going to run and Leonard Fournette you where he's going to call the guy over to take the hit. You know, he's he's not the wiggle guy. He's the I'm going to punish the safety and cornerback type of guy. So, I yeah, I, I, I like Akers. To me, he is below the top group because I've seen it from the top group. You know, Akers has great film. Akers has great ability. Akers, Akers has everything except the proof in the pudding, you know. It, he hasn't done it. And it's not all his fault. Everything you just said about Florida State is absolutely correct. You know, it's – if he would have been somewhere else, you could have seen it. You could have put it on a film. You could know it. I'm interested to see. You know, at the same time, if you're freaking King Dingling on a team, you don't have that opposition. You know, you're the clearly the best guy around a bunch of shitty guys. Not that they're all Florida State guys were bad, but once you get again, similar to talking about the president, once you get into a shitty situation, it's really hard and it can affect you in a lot of different ways. So. Again, opportunity-wise, I'm completely with you. If Cam Akers goes to the Chargers and he's the early down back and Eckler is still getting, you know, 65% of the touches, Cam Akers is going to be a very good football player. He's just not going to offer a whole lot of fantasy value. So, you look, it's very interesting to see where he pairs. Now, you tell me that Cam Akers 
you know, Penny's still recovering. He's probably going to start in the pup. Carson has some sort of issue or they don't have faith. And Pete Carroll doesn't care who starts for him. But you tell me Seattle gets acres late and now you're on that offense and you know that he, somebody's going to get the opportunity to get the ball. Like that's the type of land spot you want. You know, one of those run first teams. The problem is a lot of these run first teams all have their running back. It'll be interesting to see what happens. So. I mean, like, like you said, and like we said, most of this podcast, it just depends on the landing spots for some of these guys. Um, for the sake of time, you know, we kind of have the next three running backs uh, and not really in the same order, but uh, we both have Zach Moss, A.J. Dillon, and Keyshawn Vaughn at six, seven, and eight, just kind of in a different order. Um, you know, A.J. Dillon to me is a huge back. He played at Boston College, six foot, 247, runs a four, five, three. I mean, that kind of reminds me of a Leonard Fournette, 1,685 yards rushing last year, 14 touchdowns. Really, uh, Led, beat, led Boston College to their first bowl game in, I think it was like 20 years or something. Um, you know, he ran in the ACC, uh, wasn't a great conference, but wasn't a great team. Um, but he has the skill set. He has the huge upside and huge tools. He could be, you know, a, a good option. Uh, same thing with Zach Moss, uh, you know, out of Utah, who had a good season. Uh, you know, ran a 4.65, his 5.9, five, you know, tough runner. Uh, medicals are a concern on him, which is really going to come down to, you know, what he does. But in my opinion, the dark horse in the class, and just in my opinion, is Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. Uh, I got to see him up close and personal when he played against LSU. Um, you know, he was a, you know, a four-year guy, you know, stud, 5'9", uh, 4'5", He was a tough runner. He can catch the ball at the backfield. Um, he had a great senior bowl. He's mature. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, he's got great vision. And to me, uh, he's someone I would keep an eye on, maybe not for next year, but maybe two or three years down the road, you know, when he maybe gets a shot somewhere, depending on where he lands, he could, you know, pay dividends uh, immediately. You know, maybe someone like a Tennessee to back up, you know, Derrick Henry, because now Deion Lewis is gone. Tennessee kind of needs another running back. I think Keyshawn Vaughn would fit well. You know, he's a hometown boy from Nashville and Vanderbilt. Uh, why not go to Tennessee? Absolutely. So we have, you know, like you said, pretty much the same guys in there. Uh, the ones I'll highlight because for my actual job, because this is all for fun, is, you know, I travel around and, you know, I, I get to go to a lot of sporting events and uh, I cover the eastern U.S. and I have go cover to Boston. Got a, one of my sales guys has uh, BC season tickets. And I also end up over on the east side and end up, what you know, have a guy, sales guy that was an Appalachian State graduate. So I've watched A.J. Dillon and Darrington Evans all year. Um, you know, the, A.J. Dillon, my guy said, dude, you got to see our running back. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, fucking Boston College. He's like, dude, you got to see my running back. I mean, like He's you beast. Said, you know, 247, 4-5, 23 reps at 225 of the combine, 41-inch vertical. So we talked about Cam Akers being an athlete and having the intangibles. Cam Akers at 35.5 vertical. A.J. Dillon – at 247, as opposed to 217 at Acres, had a 41-inch vertical and a 131-inch broad jump. Dude is an absolute monster. He is the Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette guy. Like, if this was the early 90s, he would be the number one running back. Just the offenses have changed. Like, he is the freaking old-school, prototypical running back. He is a freaking man-child. He is going to, you know, he ends up, again, like, where they have premier PPR guys, like where Eckler is, where Kamara is, where those guys that are just going to, you know, the catch the ball guys 
or even if he ends up, you know, late to Carolina, it might hurt McCaffrey's value for touchdowns, but they just came out and said, like Rule said, they want to cut back on some of McCaffrey's workload right after they made him the highest paid running back in history, which kind of seems stupid to pay somebody than not tell him, you tell him you're going to take a vacation. But if he ends up, you know, Brandon Jacobs to Tiki Barber and, you know, somebody gets all these points all the way down the field and he could be immediately a 10 touchdown guy at the right in the right scheme. You know, if the Patriots offense didn't suck, he would be the running back to pair with James White. So, you know, big on AJ Dillon. And then the last one that I'll highlight is Darrington Evans, Appalachian state, uh, four, four, one forty. He is, he has great vision, but he does have some issues with contact in the sense like he does seem to like embrace the hit and more than like, and I don't mean like go out and deliver a blow. Like he kind of takes it. So if somebody could toughen him up a little bit, he could be a really, really late round steal because he can flat out fly. Like he has a four, four, one, but his breakaway speed on, on film is stupid. And you know how many fumbles he has? 482 career carries. Goose egg, baby. Fucking zero. And that is an intangible that matters to pro guys. Now, you know his first NFL carry. Kareem Hunt. He's going to fucking fumble. Like, it's done. <laughs> yeah, it's done. Fumble. Boom. Just get it out the way. Pop that cherry. But he's, to me, you had him at 10, which I was surprised to see. Um, but he's one of those guys, late-round guy uh, for me. You know, he's my uh, fine. You know, I want, you know, I'm looking late. I want to throw some darts. You know what? I want to throw a fucking, you know, some smoldering stuff. The fire may go out, but shit, who knows? Maybe that shit catches. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, man. We're, we're a week away from the draft. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Um, but uh, coming up on Monday, we'll be taking a look at the deep, sick wide receiver class. It's, that it's just going to be uh, – it's probably the most talented wide receiver class since Julio Jones, A.J. Green class. I mean, this, this class is going to be deep. So we're going to take a deep dive on that on Monday. Uh, but – Conveniently enough, the tight ends. Yeah, I, so we we'll, we'll dabble a little bit on tight ends. I, I doubt we spend more than you know a few minutes on tight ends, but the wide receivers are really uh, the class of this draft, and we'll get to that on Monday. But uh, thank you guys for taking the time to listen to our podcast tonight. Uh, again, you can follow us on Twitter at Fancy Pandemic. You can follow myself at Fantasy Cajun, and you can follow Vincent at FF Littlefinger. Uh, other than that, I hope you guys have a good night. One week to the draft, guys. Here we go. Can't wait. Zoom in with us. Remember, knowledge is power.